We're in Acts chapter 21, so you can go ahead and turn there. Acts chapter 21, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 16 today. In Luke, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 18, it tells us uh, we, we receive a warning. And the warning reminds us that it's actually, in a sense, it can be a dangerous thing to hear the Word of God preached. Because for every truth that enters into your ears, you're held accountable for that truth that you've heard. You're held accountable before God. And so that verse in Luke 8.18 says, Take heed how you hear. And there's some really weighty things I want to put before you. Really weighty things I want to call you to from God's Word. So I want to encourage you, please, to take heed. It's a very serious thing. Take heed how you hear God's Word. Let's pray and we'll read this passage. Lord, thank you so much that we can sing worship to you, that I'm together with my family, family in Christ, and that together we can lift our voices. And uh, God, I praise you that you, you seem to show us in your word that because of the cross and because we belong to you now, that those songs come up before you and they're pleasing to you, that they actually please you. So thank you, Lord, for letting us sing songs for your pleasure. Lord, help us now, please, as we come to your word. Lord, we're people in need of guidance. We're people in need of a word from you. We're just people in need, God. We need you. And you've given us your word as a means to meet our needs, a means of grace. So Lord, please use your scriptures to speak to us today. Holy Spirit, come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, Acts 21, I'm going to start in verse 1. Please read it with me. And when he had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were, were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on, went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus. And we greeted the brothers 
and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people, the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Now, let me just make a few minor observations before we get to the main point of the passage. This, point, this passage has a main point and we need to get to it quick. But let me just make a few minor observations. Uh, we know that Paul, since Acts chapter 19, has had a plan to get to Jerusalem. And what we find out in this passage is he makes it to Jerusalem. And so we're seeing his path through city after city after city until he finally arrives in Jerusalem in verses 15 and 16. Now, we see several things here. We see uh, we could highlight some things about Paul's love for the church. We have seen Paul's love for the church again and again and again. And we see it in this passage too. In verse 1, when it says, when we have parted for them, it's literally when we have been torn away from them. So here he is with these Ephesian elders, and he has to be torn away from these men that he loves. And then he lands in Tyre, and it says he's got to be there for seven days because they're unloading the cargo. And what does he do? You see it there in verse 4, I believe it says, and having sought out the disciples. He sought out the disciples. And then, and then we keep seeing everywhere he goes, he's seeking out the disciples. This man loves the church. And we can highlight that here. This uh, Again, as we've seen all throughout the book of Acts, Paul's love for the people of God. Also, in this passage, uh, it made me pray as I studied this passage. Again, it's a minor observation, but it made me pray uh, for my children and for so many of your children here. I love this picture of as they're, as they're leaving out. It says with the wives and the children. And they kneel down there on the beach. And they're calling out to God for Paul and everything that's going on here. They're calling out to God. And all the children are there together. And I begin to pray for our children that the Lord would teach us. We teach us what it's like to teach them to be people of prayer. To call out to God. And then of course you see Philip's uh, four daughters there. Four unmarried daughters that prophesy. And I think about all these uh, little girls. Excuse me, I get emotional of our kids. Um, these little girls. And what do we want to see God do? And these little girls that God has granted to us as a church. To you as moms and dads. What do we want to see? We want to see them 
raised up for the glory of Christ, that they might open their mouth and words of God come out to the glory of Jesus. So minor observation is beautiful. We notice Paul is unbendable. He sees God's will. He sees what he's supposed to do. And no matter what everybody else says, he's unbendable. He is going to Jerusalem. He knows it's what God wants him to do. And of course, like I said a moment ago, he lands in Jerusalem. And the way it ends is he's lodging with Nason, uh, a disciple of old, uh, one, of the, one of the beginning disciples. And there he is lodging there and his life's about to change. His life is about to change. He's about to lose his freedom. He's been a free man going wherever he wants to go. He's persecuted, of course, but he's been free. But he's about to be captured. He's about to be imprisoned. He's about to lose his freedom. And so we can dig in to a lot of things here in Acts 21, verse 1 through 16. But shame on us if we miss the main point. You know, probably one of the most interesting things here, as far as uh, minor observations, would be what it says about prophecy. We've got things here about Agabus, a prophet that speaks a word. We've got, again, the four unmarried daughters who prophesy. In verse 4, we have a very interesting verse where it says, Through the Spirit, think about this in prophecy, Through the Spirit, they're urging him not to go to Jerusalem. Isn't that an interesting phrase? I mean, we'll talk about that at, a, at another time. But, but th these are things, These are this would be a worthy pursuit if we grab any of these things. If we grab prophecy and begin to talk about that. This would be a worthy pursuit. But it would be a shame if we miss the main point of this passage. And so what we're going to do is this week we're going to look at the main point of this passage. And I'll talk to you about that. And then next week what we're going to do is broaden out. And we actually are going to dig into a little bit about prophecy in the scripture. And we'll do that next week. If you have any unanswered questions in those verses, maybe they'll be answered then. So, what's the main point? What's the main point of this passage? And there's a key verse here. And uh, there's not always a key verse. There's not always you know, one verse that just really seems to highlight the main point of the passage. But right here we have a key verse and it's verse 13. Let's read that again together. Look at verse 13. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. And here's the main point. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul lives a real, a real sacrificial life of love, a real life of love where he's willing to lay down his life to make the ultimate sacrifice for the name of Christ. It's the main point. When we think about us, it speaks volumes to us just looking at this. We just look at this man that says, I am ready to die for the sake of the name. And it speaks volumes to us. Are we ready to lay down our lives? Willing to die for the glory of Jesus Christ. It pushes against our, uh, our tendencies or the temptation at least to just play cute little Christian games. In this culture that claims Christianity, we just play games rather than ready to die. I'm ready to die for His namesake. It's just a different mindset. And that's the main point I believe been put before. So let's dig in to this passage by asking some questions. First question is this. 
Why is Paul so resolute in getting to Jerusalem? He's determined. He's firm. He's unchanging. I'm going to Jerusalem. And the question is why? Why is he so determined to get there? Now I want you to see that, that he really is. Go back to chapter 19, verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. This man is resolved. He's not just resolved. He's resolved in the Spirit to go to make it to Jerusalem. Go to chapter 20. Look at verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus... So that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. He's hastening to get there. I gotta get to Jerusalem. Look at verse, still in chapter 20. Look at verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. Not knowing what will happen to me there. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm resolved to get there. I'm constrained. I'm bound up. I'm handcuffed by the Spirit of God. I must go. And the question we're asking is why? Why is he so determined to get there? And you know, as far as motivation is concerned, there can be different layers of motivation. In fact, there, always, there always is different layers of motivation in our life, Right? That we're going to do this for this reason. But you know even deeper than that is this reason. But you know even deeper than that is this reason. Think about that with your children. If, you, if you're disciplining your children. Why do you do it? Well I do it because I want them to be um, uh, godly, you know, well behaved kids. Train them up in the way they should go. Yeah but get up under that. Why do you, why do, you do it? Tell me your motivation. Well I, I want their souls to be saved. I want them to come to Christ. I want to discipline them in such a way that they learn to hear the Word of God and come to Christ through the Gospel. Okay, but get underneath that even more. Okay, the ultimate reason, the very bottom, the foundational reason, why do I discipline my kids? I do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. That this is going to lead to Him being exalted. This is the reason that we exist. Isaiah 43, 7, My people whom I created for my glory. Why, why do you exist? Why do you breathe? Why were you saved? For His glory. So we have layers of motivation. Well, wow. Why does Paul want to get to Jerusalem? Is it because he wants to win souls and build up the church? Absolutely. It's what he does everywhere he goes. We read through the book of Acts and everywhere he goes, he's preaching the gospel to win lost souls. He's trying to build up the church. This is his heart. But is there something more specific than that? Yes. He wants to love the poor in Jerusalem. We learn that from uh, Romans. And you can go back and look at it later. Romans 15, verse 26, or 25, 26, 27. What we learn in that passage, he writes the letter that he's headed to Jerusalem to take, to take funds that he's he collected from the other churches to the poor saints in Jerusalem. So his motivation is love for the poor. But can we get underneath that? What's at the bottom? Paul, why do you want to go to Jerusalem, and you see it in here, you see it right here in verse 13. For the name of the Lord Jesus. Let that sink in. I'm going to Jerusalem, he says. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? 
Why are you doing that? I, I, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained to go to Jerusalem. And I'm willing, I'm ready to die there. Why? Look at the last phrase in verse 13. For the name of the Lord Jesus. For the name of the Lord Jesus. The very bottom of His motivations. The ultimate reason He's doing everything that He does. For the name of the Lord Jesus. Now what does that mean? When you hear that, He's going for the name. He's willing to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. What does it mean? It means for His glory. It means for His praise. One brother said it's the glory of God made public. It's not for the name of Jesus as in J-E-S-U-S. Jesus, that name, J-E-S-U-S, those letters. That's not the idea. It's the idea of the way we say that man has made a name for himself as a hard worker. He's made a name for himself. What do you mean? It's his reputation. It's his renown. It's his fame. I'm willing to go die in Jerusalem for his renown, for his fame, for his praise, for his glory, for his name. There's a lot of verses I could turn to to show you that. Let me just read one to you. Psalm, you don't have to flip there, but Psalm 106, verse 8. Listen to what this says about the name. Yet He saved them for His name's sake. What do you mean? That He might make known His mighty power. He saved them. Let's do it for His name's sake. What does it mean? That He might put His power on display. Paul says, I'm willing to go to Jerusalem and die. Why? That His power, His glory, His grace, His majesty, His goodness might be put on display. It's for His name's sake. This is His ultimate drive in everything that He does. And may it be our all-consuming passion. I read that and I think, Lord, let it be every member of Grace Community Church and every person here. Let, it, let our all-consuming all passion be that we do all things for the name of Christ. That I go to work on Monday morning for the name of Jesus Christ. That I raise these children for the name of Jesus Christ. Preach His gospel for His name. All things from small things to large things for the name of Christ. It's what matters most. His glory. His praise. And it's at the bottom of Paul's motivation. Okay, another question. What did others think about his decision to go to Jerusalem? So you know he's got crowds out there. He's got friends. He's got really close friends. What did everybody else think about Paul's plan? His, his idea to head to Jerusalem. In 21 verse 4. Such an interesting verse. Look at it. It says, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. So there he is in Tyre, with the church in Tyre, with the disciples there. And listen, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, isn't that interesting? We know he's supposed to go. The Spirit of the Lord told him to go. It seems that something was revealed here that he's going to suffer when he gets to Jerusalem. That's been being revealed all the way through. He's going to suffer. So they know that, but they make the wrong application. Therefore, you shouldn't go. Therefore, you shouldn't go. So they tell him, don't go, Paul. Look down at verse, verse 12. When we heard this, now Luke's the writer, so that includes Luke and anybody else there with him. When we heard this, 
We and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. They're urging him, Paul, don't go. The word is begging. They're begging him, Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. They got tears rolling down their face. Because we know that because Paul looks at them and says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? They're weeping tears from their eyes saying, please, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And this has been the case all the way through every city that he's been in from Acts 19 on. They, there's been this testifying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. And as we get closer and closer to Jerusalem, it gets more intense. Don't go, brother. Why? Look back at chapter 20 again. Why don't they want him to go? Chapter 20, verse 22 says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, but keep reading this time, except, here's something he does know will happen to him in Jerusalem, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. City after city after city, the Holy Spirit has testified, when you get there, here's what awaits you in Jerusalem. Afflictions and imprisonment. And in our passage today, Agabus comes along and says, listen, the man who owns this belt that you call, and he bounds himself up and he says, the man who owns this belt, you're going to be bound up by the Gentiles when you get there. You're going to be in prison. They love this man. They don't want him to be in prison. They don't want him to be killed. He might die. Don't go, Paul. You hear their heart in this. So that's the backdrop. That's the backdrop for our third question. The backdrop is Paul is resolved to get to Jerusalem. He's going to go there for the name of Jesus Christ. But other people don't want him to go. Even his close friends don't want him to go. Because they love him and they care for him and they don't want him to die. They don't want him to be taken away. And so it's a backdrop for this third question, which is what was Paul's response? What was Paul's response? And here again, we get the main point of our passage. What was Paul's response? Verse 13. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be in prison. I'm ready not only to be in prison. Listen to his response. Think about his heart. I'm ready not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem. For the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And we saw something similar in chapter 20. You know, we just read verse 22 and 23 where he said the Holy Spirit was testifying that when you get to Jerusalem, it's imprisonment and affliction. That's what's coming, Paul. And what does he say in verse 24 as he still goes to Jerusalem? Verse 24. Chapter 20, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Same thing. I don't count my life of any value. My life's not precious to myself. I just want to finish my race and testify to the gospel of Christ. I'm ready not only to be in prison, but to die for the sake of the name. Very similar things being said here. Now what's going on with Paul? Does he just have a martyr complex? Is he just wanting to die? Just, just seems like the radical thing to do to die, right? 
And we know that's not true. Acts chapter 9, at the beginning of his walk with God, he's in Jerusalem and they're trying to kill him. And the advice from the brothers was to flee. And he took that advice. In Acts chapter 19, he's in Ephesus. And there's a mob, there's a riot that wants to kill him. And he's about to walk right into the midst of it. And the brothers say, don't do it, brother. And he listens to him and he doesn't do it. He doesn't just have a martyr complex here. What, what's going on? Is, is he just trying to sound hardcore? I'm ready to die for the name of Christ. Or is this flowing out of his heart? That he means it. That it's not mere words that he means it. I'm ready to lay down my life for Christ. My life doesn't matter. You're more glorious than my life. I think he means it. I want you to try to imagine the pressures. Imagine the pressure from Acts 19 on that he feels this pressure to bend and not do what he knows is the will of God. Imagine the pressure. The pressure of knowing that suffering's coming. He knows it's coming. Imagine that pressure. Imagine the pressure of all the trials in every church that you go to saying, Brother, don't do it. My advice to you is don't do it. Imagine the pressure of even his closest friends, even Luke, even the brothers closest to him in his life saying, Brother, don't do it. With tears coming down their face, don't do it. Imagine the pressure. Which is why in verse 13 he says, Why are you breaking my heart? He feels it. He feels the pressure. He feels this pressure to bend and yet he doesn't. He moves forward and goes to Jerusalem. And it says he's willing to go for the name of Christ. He's willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. That's love. 1 John 3.16 This is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down His life for us. No greater love as this than a man lay down his life for his friends. This man has sacrificial, real love. Willing to lay down his life ultimately. In every small way between here and there. You know, as I studied through this, I was, I was floored. Absolutely floored about how much like Paul, how much I can see my Savior Jesus in Paul right now. I was floored by it. I'm looking at Paul headed towards Jerusalem, knowing he's going to suffer. And I'm just thinking about my Savior. I'm thinking about Paul's Savior. How much he's like Christ right here. I want us to think about that for a minute. Do you remember Jesus also was resolved to get to Jerusalem? Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Jesus was resolved to get there. Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Way back here in Luke chapter 9. 24 chapters in this book. We still got a long way to go. And already we're thinking about that trek to Jerusalem. To go die. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. What do the crowds think? What does everybody think about that? Keep reading. And when he sent messengers ahead of him, he went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. His face is set. 
people don't like it. I want you to imagine the pressures that he would have felt to bend right here. More so than Paul the Apostle. Imagine the pressures he would have felt to bend and not move forward, not go to Jerusalem. Why do I say that? Even here in Luke chapter 9 is that passage where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus begins to expound to them that he's going to Jerusalem to die. To be mistreated, to be mocked, to suffer. And Peter says, think about the pressure. One of his closest disciples, he says, don't go, not you, Lord. Not you, Lord. Don't go. Look at Luke chapter 13. Imagine the pressures to stop this trek to Jerusalem. Luke 13 verse 31 and at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. It's a fear tactic. You better move away. You better change course because Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus says, He said to them, Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's going to Jerusalem. Imagine the pressures to bend here. Look at Luke chapter 18. Luke 18 verse 31. It shows us that Jesus was not ignorant even of the details of His physical suffering. And, that, and the fact that He knows this, He knows these details. Imagine the pressure to bend. Verse 31, And taking the twelve, He, sent, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For He will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging Him, they will kill Him. And on the third day, He will rise. Imagine the pressure. He knows what's coming. He's not ignorant of the pain that is to come in Jerusalem. And yet He set His face. He's going there. Luke chapter 22 he talks to his disciples and, and he tells them, all of you are going to forsake me. Peter, you're even going to deny me three times. You're going to deny the fact that you even know me. Imagine the pressure to bend right here. Look at Luke 22. Go to verse 39. This is where we see the pressure the, the most clearly. Look at verse 39. What we're going to see here is he knows that not only are his friends going to forsake him when he gets to Jerusalem, but the Father... The Father with whom He has eternal communion is going to forsake Him. And that the suffering that He's going to endure is more than physical suffering. It's far worse than that. And we see that He knows that. Because look, look right here, verse 39. He's really close to Jerusalem now. And it says, And He came out and went 
And as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Can you see him there? Praying in Gethsemane. Can you see him there? Listen. Saying, Father, if you, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. Can you imagine this? He feels the pressure. What, what in the world could be happening in Jerusalem that would cause the Son of God to say, Oh, Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way? What would cause Him to sweat drops of blood? What would cause Him to be in agony? What would cause Him to be in pain? What could do this to the Son of God? Here's what He knows. He says, Father, could You take this cup from Me? What's the cup? And the cup is God's wrath. He knows that when He goes to Jerusalem and He goes to the cross, He's not just taking physical suffering and physical torment, which is terrible. But when He goes to the cross, He's going to drink down the wrath of God that we were supposed to drink. He's going to suffer in our place and the Father's wrath is going to be poured out on Him. And it's terrifying. And He's in agony. And you imagine the pressure to bend. But does He bend? He goes to Jerusalem. He goes to the cross. He's crucified for our sins. He takes our place. He, he, he tastes death for us all at the cross. He goes there. Eyes wide open. Knowing what He's facing. He goes, he goes to the cross. Why did He do it? Remember there's different layers of motive, right? Why did He do it? Did He do it to save souls? And to build up the church? Of course He did Scripture says that about Him, right? That He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why He died. Scripture says that Jesus said, I will build My church. He's there to die for lost sinners and build up the church. Is that, but, but what else? He, he's, there, he's there because He loves the poor. He loves the poor. Not just the physically poor, but the spiritually poor. He loves the poor. 2 Corinthians 8 9. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, He made Himself poor so that you through His poverty might become rich. But what if we got underneath that? Is there something even more deeply motivating to Him even, even than that? And here's where we know Jesus goes to Jerusalem just like Paul. He goes to the cross. And why does He do it? He does it for the sake of the name. He does it for His own glory. He does it for the glory of God. Now that might sound really crazy to people like us that live in such a man-centered world, a man-centered universe. You mean the cross wasn't ultimately about us? And I say no, it was about the name of God. It was about the name of Jesus Christ. About His glory. In John 17, 1, Jesus says to the Father, The hour has come 
Father, glorify Your Son that Your Son might glorify You. Let me read a verse to you in Isaiah 43. It kills our man-centeredness. Verse 25. I, I am He who blots out your transgressions. Why? For my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Our man-centeredness destroyed. This is about the name. Paul is about the name. Jesus is about the name. And so what we see Paul doing in Acts 21, verse 1 through 16, is he's imitating his Savior. He's being like his Savior. He's ready to die for the name of Christ. Last question. <clears throat> Are we supposed to imitate Paul? Are we supposed to imitate him in this? Is it proper for me to look each one of you in the eye and say, brother, sister, lay down your life for him. Prepare to die for Christ. Is that okay for me? Is it right for me to look at every single one of you in the eye and say, you need to be ready to make the ultimate sacrifice for Jesus like Paul? Or is this just an apostle thing? Is this just a super Christian thing? Or is this for all of us? Are we supposed to imitate Paul? And my answer is this. Not only are we supposed to have a readiness to give the ultimate sacrifice, a readiness to die for Christ. Not only are we supposed to have that, but that is the very beginning of our walk with Christ. In other words, this is not Paul. What we read about Paul is not just mature Christian living. This is entrance into the kingdom. Prove that, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. In Luke 14, it tells us the call into salvation is a call to die. A call to lay it all down. Luke 14, verse 26. Now great crowds accompanied him, and, and he turned and he said to them, Imagine him looking at the crowds. And what does he say? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is not mature Christian living. This is the very beginning of your walk with God. This is the call. Come and die. Take up your cross. Hate your own life. Lay it all down for Christ. Isn't He worthy? Verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Doesn't renounce all that he has. He cannot be my disciple. With this in mind, I want to say a few things to anyone here who is lost today. You're, you found yourself here and you hear stuff like that and you go, no, I haven't forsaken and trusted in Christ. I haven't forsaken all and trusted Christ. You're here and you're lost. I just want to say a few things to you. Listen to me. Regardless, regardless of what you have heard, 
Regardless of what you have heard, this is the call. Whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. If anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Regardless of what you've heard, I'm, I'm just quoting words of Christ to you. This is the call into salvation. It's a call to come and die. It's a call to lay down your life. We're told in this passage to count the cost. Listen to me, friend here today who's lost. Count the cost. It will cost you everything. Prosperity, ease of life, it'll cost you everything. You'll have to say no to the world. Walk away from it. You might have to stand alone. You might have to stand when everybody else walks away from Christ. And you stand with Christ. This is the call. Count the cost. You must be willing to be persecuted. To be persecuted. It might even cost you your own life. Jesus does not call us to play religious games. He says, come and die. Come and lay down your life and speak it to you. Hear the call of God. You say, why would I do such a thing? Did you hear what I said just a moment ago about what Christ did? Why would you come and die? Why would you come and lay down your life? Did, did you hear what I said Jesus did? That, that He had eyes wide open knowing what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And yet He went there and He suffered and died for your sins so you could be set free. He laid down His life for you and He calls you to lay down your life for Him. This is urgent. It's very, very urgent. Christ is going to return soon. And when Christ returns, He's not coming back singing lullabies. He comes back as Lord of all to conquer all of His enemies. Every one of them. Don't be found without Christ in that day. I'm pleading with you. Don't be found without Christ. He offers terms of peace now. But they're here to His terms to come and die. He offers terms of surrender. He, he accepts your term of surrender. But they're His terms to forsake all and come to Him. Listen, you've got to settle with Jesus out of court. If you wait till it gets to the judgment seat of Christ, it'll be too late for you. And so the call from Psalm 2 is this. Bow down and kiss the Son, lest He be angry. To my brothers and sisters in Christ. You've forsaken all. And you've come to Him. And you're His. And you, you belong to Him. I want to remind you what you signed up for. Looking at Paul's life in Acts 21 verse 1 through 16. And I want, you, I want to remind you what you signed up for. The verse I quoted a moment ago in Luke 9.23. It says, if anyone comes after me, let him, listen, deny himself, take up his cross daily. This needs to be a daily renewal for us that are in Christ. A daily reminder, a, a recommitment to, I want to give my life that I was there and maybe I drifted some, but I've got to get back to this place that I would daily take up my cross and follow Christ. So we're to imitate Paul. So it, it begs the question, as you look at Paul's life, 
You consider that that's not just mature Christian living. That's the very beginning of your walk with God. And you're called to go after that daily. It, it begs the question. And I know it's a hard one to answer. But I encourage you to take it home. And get on your knees in a quiet place. In a secret place. And speak to the Lord about it. Can you honestly say. Acts 21 verse 13. Can you honestly say. I'm ready. Not only to be in prison. But to die. For the sake of the name. I know it's a hard question. Can you honestly say, Acts 20, verse 24, I don't count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only, this is what I'm worried about, if only I might finish my race, the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Be careful how you answer that question. Because how easy is it for us in our in our weakness, and our sinful nature, how easy is it for us to say, that's right, I would die, I'll do that, I'll die for Christ. I'll make the ultimate sacrifice and yet be unwilling to make every little sacrifice up till then. Be careful how you answer the question. I think this mindset, with that in mind, this mindset should touch Every single area of our life. No, nothing in our life gets untouched by the King of Glory. It can be our comfort, our peace, our ease, our, our money, our jobs, our everything, our family. That in every area, sacrifice to the Lord Jesus. Laying down our lives for Him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. And follow Him. And so here's the question. What sacrifices... Are you making for the name of Christ? He's worth it. What sacrifices? If Jesus, and He does, sees all things. If Jesus gazed over all of your life, what would He see? As this, this is sacrifice for Christ. This is sacrifice for the sake of my name. King David said this, and I think it's some beautiful words. He said, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. Would you take that question home? But let me close on an interesting thought that I hope will be helpful to you. And this is the interesting thought. There's a guy named David Livingstone who was a missionary to Africa in the 1800s. David Livingstone. This man suffered a lot. He left a lot. And he suffered a lot. A lot of pain. A lot of sickness. A lot of absence from comfort and ease and things that he could, he could easily have. This man suffered. This man sacrificed a whole lot. Attacked by lions at one point. And yet... He says, this is a famous quote from David Livingstone, I never made a sacrifice. Now how do these go together? Interesting thought. I'm looking at his life going, this man made sacrifices for the name of Christ. But then he says, and it's famously said, I never made a sacrifice. And we see things similar with Paul the Apostle. In 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, I very gladly spend and be spent for your soul. 
Now that's interesting because spend and be spent for your soul sounds like sacrifice to me. But gladly, I very gladly spend and very gladly doesn't sound like sacrifice. How do these things go together? What makes these things meet? And here's the answer. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it speaks about the kingdom of heaven. It says this, listen, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found treasure in the field. Oh, it was good. And for joy over that treasure, he goes home and sells everything. Doesn't that sound like sacrifice? But it says with joy, he sells everything that he might purchase that field with that treasure. So how does it go together? Sacrifice, yes, sacrifice. Sacrifice for Christ. Don't offer to Him that which costs you nothing. And yet when you do it, Jesus is such the treasure that it doesn't even feel like sacrifice to you. I never made a sacrifice, He said. And so in Acts 21 verse 13, we hear Paul. And he says, I'm ready. <laughs> he doesn't say, I don't... I don't want to do this. He says, I'm ready not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the name. That sounds like sacrifice, but he says, I'm ready because Jesus is my greatest treasure and that he would be exalted and praised is more to me than life itself. And I pray the Lord would bring every one of us, every one of us deeper into that with Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Beautiful truth. Lord, please help us to get beyond facts in our head and move to places of worship where You are adored. You are the treasure. And God, I pray that You would receive so many joyful sacrifices from us. God, expose us. Search us, O oh God, and know our heart. Try us and know our anxiety. See if there's any evil way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. God, I pray that for every individual here. Holy Spirit, search us out. We offer ourselves to You, Lord. We want to be searched out. Put Your finger, Lord, on every area of our life in places where it's all about us and it's not about You. God, expose it and give us, give us the, the repentance and the faith to turn back to You. Lord, I pray that You would help us. And Lord Jesus, be exalted for the sake of Your name. It's the reason we live. It's the reason we breathe. For the sake of Your name. So Lord, let Your name be exalted in this place with every brother and sister in Christ here. Help us, Lord. Thank You for Your help. In Jesus' name, Amen.